Leading a fashion business in today's ever-changing economic background takes a multitude of skills along with guts, instinct and energy. In the Industry.Fashion's In Conversation podcast, we talk to the people who are in possession of all of those qualities and more, including those who have set up their own businesses or those who have risen to the top of fashion businesses, large and small. We delve into the background of these leaders' careers, find out what drove them to success, what continues to motivate them and what their ambitions are for the future. We also get their take on how they see the industry developing, along with their advice for those wishing to follow in their footsteps. Commercial visionary and pioneer of groundbreaking e-commerce solutions, Chris Griffin, and his lifestyle retail group acquired Secret Sales in March 2020. The aim was to move the business from a members-only flash sales website to a dedicated premium, non-full-price e-commerce marketplace for fashion, beauty and homeware, where brands can retain control of price, inventory and branding while maintaining positive brand equity. Griffin, well known for once transforming and supercharging Superdry's e-commerce business, talks us through his past and plans for the future. Thanks for joining us on our podcast today, Chris. Can we just get a little bit about your background? Um, I understand you were once director of e-commerce at Superdrive, for one thing, and uh, the, uh, your business LRG Online, which I believe you own, and that's the company that now owns Secret Sales. Yeah, I mean, look, more recently, I mean, look, I won't start off with my long-term background because I was in the music industry for 20 years, but that's a whole different ballgame. Um, basically, I'd, I'd, uh, I got into e-commerce by starting um, a discount retailer called 888 Clothing, which is one of the early adopters uh, of using marketplaces to create volume sales. Um, my biggest client at the time was uh, Superdry, who were using me exclusively um, online to clear Superdry products. It was at the heyday of Superdry. Um, and, you know, cut a long story short, I, we were so successful in what we did for Superdry as a client that they bought the business and I went to join them and um, as um, director of uh, e-commerce. So yeah, it was a good, good time. It's like mid late two thousands, but when e-commerce was booming, sort of fashion was still basically in its early infancy of e-commerce. I can still remember the time when people were uh, saying that you couldn't sell shoes online. It was around that point. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's been proven wrong obviously um and so yeah cut a long story short joined joined super dry um when they were you know still quite a small business really and their e-commerce business was doing i don't know two three million a year so it was very small compared to the even compared to the size of the company uh, and grew that over four years um amazing time because it was one of those times where you were sort of inventing things as you uh, when it was before you know it was before the the days of eat brands globally uh, expanding their own ecosystems for e-commerce and and also having the technology that made that easy so so we built their um i built their um e-commerce business really with an in-house development team which, which would be like suicide nowadays but we were solving problems that people hadn't solved right how do we aggregate payment methods and delivery methods you know it was um, I grew that to basically be about 
100 million over about four years. So from a really start, really small start to basically the business being a sizable part of the business, scaled it to 21 international countries, including China and America, all of Europe, um, built a logistics and supply chain um, infrastructure around that globally for returns logistics, because again, those problems haven't been solved at that time. And, and really, I suppose, cut my teeth on international e-commerce outside of basically um, clearance. So it was, yeah, it was a great time, really enjoyed it. Sure. So bringing that forward, LRG Online is, is your business, I gather. Yeah, yeah. It's um, obviously LRG Online uh, is the company. Trading name for the website is secretsales.com. The philosophy with uh, LRG came out... Um, of a previous company that I own called uh, Anatwine. Uh, and it, most people in fashion are aware of um, Anatwine. We were, I started a business when I came out of Superdrive because I realized that there was, there was a better way that fashion brands could trade with fashion, with online fashion retailers. And what I wanted to do is basically uh, create a connected inventory model that was exclusively for fashion brands and retailers. So to connect the world's biggest brands to the world's biggest retailers and basically digitally connect their stock files. So almost turning a a classic e-commerce platform into a hybrid of a marketplace and a retailer, Um, which, again, is is now there's a lot of people doing that. At the time, nobody was doing it. Zalando had just started thinking about it. ASOS weren't doing anything like that. And so we built Anatwine from a standing start, started with five people in an office in Cheltenham and grew to basically be live in – 60 countries represented 80% of the world's top 100 brands, um, crossed over a billion turnover in under two years um, in terms of gross merchandise value coming through the platform, represented, you know, everyone from Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, um, and, and then sold that company to Zalando and the technology from that company now powers the Zalando marketplace. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, you're asking why am I telling you that story when you asked about LRG? Well, it's interesting because we worked with all these amazing brands. You know, like I said, everyone from Nike to basically, obviously, Superdrys, your Ted Bakers, all these really great brands and great retailers. And the one thing that all the brands spoke to me about at the time is, can you do something with non-full price? Uh, and at the time, Anatime was a tech, not a tech company about connecting inventory in a marketplace model to full-price retailers. So it wasn't a problem that we solved. And so when I sold Anatwine, I realized that every one of my old clients, pretty much every one of the biggest brands on, on the planet in fashion, needed a better solution for clearance. And that better solution was how can I maintain control of my brand and product without cannibalizing my full-price sales on my own platforms and stores? Um, but without losing control, selling it through to an old, a flash sales business or a, or a clearance house or even the likes of TK Maxx. And so the reason why LIG was formed was to solve a problem for brands, to basically give them a way to be able to sell non-full price inventory, make great margin because marketplace economics are really strong, but also control the pricing presentation and basically and and the experience of their brand in a curated fashion-only environment. And most importantly, when they sell an item, to be able to create a new customer and not lose basically all the upsides that clearance can give them. Um, so Secret Sales did exist. So when did you actually acquire it? And Because, I mean, it was founded, wasn't it, by uh, Sash Nish Kukania? Yeah. 
Yeah, look, lovely guys. They built this business, which was a flash sales business, which which was okay. Um, I, I'm not a fan of flash sales business. In fact, I think it's a dying market um, because I think it's a suboptimal experience. But they built this business, and actually, um, the reason why we acquired Secret uh, Secret Sales is that they had a really strong fashion customer base. That was all I was interested in, really. They had about 6 million people registered in the UK. And so because we were dealing with big brands, we needed to make sure that we could deliver volume from day one. And so the only way really to do that sensibly was to go out there and find a company, buy it, take that customer base and and stop it and turn it from being a flash sales business with a poor customer proposition selling very low, you know, discount fashion at very deep margins, but use that customer base that was highly relevant to create basically the secret sales marketplace, which is is what we launched two years ago. Yeah. Okay. So what? So what actually attracted you to secret sales, and what what kind of state was that business in when you took it over? Yeah, it was. Um, it had six million customers, a great name, but actually outside of that, the business was a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. Um, that, and I'm not disparaging anybody, but it was it was very much a hand to mouth business where they were looking to get a bit of stock, sell it today, and then think about tomorrow. Exactly like a lot of how these flash sales businesses work. Not all of them, but a lot of, especially some of the smaller ones. So, in terms of the business now, what brands and uh, products are particularly performing well? Yeah, I mean, look, we've got. 1,200 brands live on the site, £1.4 billion worth of inventory. Um, bear in mind, that's from a standing start two and a half years ago. Um, the reality is we are exclusively in fashion, albeit with a small amount of home and beauty that's complementary, but our main market's fashion. So what are we seeing selling? Um, we're a sort of middle market to upper market platform. So we will sell everything from a five grand Gucci handbag that's basically pre-love, vintage, um, Albeit those are not volume sales, but we te- we're, te- we're seeing we're still seeing good money being taken um, in terms of the pre-loved. And act- but actually, the main stuff that we're seeing at the moment, particularly in this time time of the year, is that is that middle market fifty to a hundred pound item. Um, on average, we're seeing about a fifty percent discount on our on our platform where people are trying to buy a product of quality at a discount that they know that they could last them a couple of years as an alternative to maybe some of the lesser brands that you would buy new or fast fashion. And that's our volume, really. That's sweet spot of 50 to 100 pounds. Smash all your sales goals with Style Arcade, the world's number one fashion software. Goodbye spreadsheets. Seamlessly connect all your systems into one source of truth. So you'll know what's the go with your sales, stock, future orders, and web analytics with imagery all in one place. Now everyone can collaborate in a beautifully visual app. It's quick and easy to make smart decisions on which products are frequently purchased together, balancing your range instantly. With live tracking of your spend and margins and reordering by size, because sizing for maximum profit and minimum waste is what we do best. Whether your sales are hitting a million or a billion, join 300 teams globally and see for yourself why brands grow 74% faster when they visualize, collaborate, and automate in our app. Go from being a growing brand to a global brand today with Style Arcade. 
returns are expected to cost British fashion retailers some £7 billion this year. On top of this, the waste generated by returns means the cost to the planet, as well as the retailers' bottom lines, is getting unsustainable. In our latest report that we've created with Blackman, the leading logistics partner for omnichannel commerce, we look at how you can transform returns from a profit drain to a profit driver. Download your free copy today at theindustry.fashion. Have you seen customer shopping habits changing? Yeah, it's been really, really, it's been really interesting and somewhat, um, on a personal point of view, quite scary, really, in terms of looking at how the living wage crisis has and how, how people are basically quite fearful, I would say, um, in that the, the future has been less than certain, as we all know. And, and so what we've seen is that we've seen people, but, but oddly enough, we've seen people's basket size increase and the number of items increase. Now, you would say, how does that make come from fearful? Actually, we poll our customers, and what we're seeing is multi-gender items or basically items for, for both parents and children or partners. So you're seeing people buy multiple items that, um, that, are, good, that are basically for the family or for basically their, their family group or their partner, etc., etc., in one go. So, you know, what was... I think people are going, do you know what? I need to buy these five items for either myself or my family across basically the next six months. And are actually buying them from us at discounts so they get certainty that they've got good prices, but they're covered for a period. So I think it's far less about impulse buying and more about planning. Okay. And I read uh, information, I think that was from the summer, I think July, that um, you're seeing average order value 20% higher than last year. I mean, obviously that's going to change now from July, but is that still the case and growing? And what, why do you think that is? Yeah, it's, it's, look, it's from the it's same as the reason I just mentioned, really. It's marginally up on the 20% like for like. In fact, we're, we're, we're currently, you know, our like for like on sales are about 65% up at the moment. Um, which, given the climate, most retailers would be happy with flat. We've, we're seeing people gravitate towards discount because of the value. And we're, we're in a place where you're not only getting value, but you're getting quality. And how does your, the business model work? And do you get better deals on multi, multiple buys? No, um, we're, our business model is classic marketplace. So we're a stockless model. We're digital. So we connect to the supply chain of hundreds of different brands and retailers and basically, we aggregate their stock into a single platform with a single customer experience and delivery promise and, and customer service promise. Um, and so the reality of it is, is that um, there's, no adv- there's no incentive for somebody to buy more than two items, apart from the fact that the items are discounted and we sell through quite quickly. So our stock turn is, is very quick for, for items. So I think that the, dri- the, the drive for a higher basket isn't what we're doing. It's the fact that we're fulfilling a need that somebody else needs us to do. And they're finding these items at the right price of the right quality and going, I can, they're right. It's right for me. I like them. It's of a quality. It will last. And I'm going to buy it because I have certainty. Brands through third party retailers would be brands like the obvious ones, Nike, Adidas, um, we're also doing incredibly well with direct relationships with brands like Puma have used us as their first marketplace. Um, Ted Baker's doing incredibly well. Um, we're also doing very, very well um, with Al K. Bennett. 
um, you know, pretty much the, the high street and upper brands basically are, um, are, are doing all incredibly well for us because it's discount. But those would be the sort of the ones that jump off the page. Sure. And have you seen an upturn in demand for better deals for quality fashion products from premium brands? Yeah, right across the market. I think, I think, probably, I think shoppers have, have always been savvy for non full price product. But I think the demand for non full price over full price at the moment, because of the economic um, scenario, is increased. But I also, but I also think that we're we're an ideal point that we see um, right young people from student upwards buying um, branded product in some cases for the first time. You know, these are these are the, probably the people that two years ago would have been buying a, a fast fashion top for twenty five quid, twenty five pounds. That are now looking to invest slightly more for a Tommy Hilfiger top at thirty-five pounds that would have been eighty, ninety brand new. And so, you know, a lot of the brands that we work with know that this is a path to be able to acquire good customers, but they're trying to do it without cannibalizing their full price sales. And that's why we're such an effective channel in this scenario for brands. That I think we're, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of people turn away from that fast fashion route want an alternative of quality but can't afford full price. So are the brands and retailers seeing it as a gateway for them to expose themselves to new customers, a gateway to full price? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's there's two points for this from a brand's perspective in in this, is that a brand does not want to have too much discount inventory in its full price channels because it erodes full price sales in their own channels. And, And so were a route for them to be able to sell it and make good margin but not cannibalize their own sales while they stay in control of their brand equity. Um, and, and so that's the, the reason. They make good money and basically they stay in control of their brand equity and pricing. The byproduct of that, though, is that we work with them to create new customers. So we're the only marketplace platform that I'm aware of in the world that basically under a GDPR compliant opt-in, share the customer data when someone buys a product from a brand. So if you buy an Adidas product on secret sales, then basically Adidas will get the product data, uh, sorry, the customer data to be able to market to those customers full price. And so not only are they getting a, a good sale and making good margins, they're getting a new customer, which they totally lose for other third parties. Sure. And how did the uh, the deal with Puma come about? Um, we went to we went to see Puma. Sat down. They wanted to find a more sustainable route for them for the selling clearance and non full price product, uh, and we were the perfect fit. I mean, you know, as you'll know yourself, you know, brands by the very nature of them being brands need to protect brand equity, and and the quickest way to destroy brand equity is to have a glut of non full price product being sold in multiple different locations by people who don't care about your brand. We work in partnership and what the reason why Puma chose us as their only marketplace for selling non-full price was because they saw that we could create new customers. They could make good margin at a non-full price still because they make, they were retained ownership of the stock until it sold to the customer and that, and that we would work in a true partnership, not just about selling one item or a, a million pounds of items, but about building a long-term sustainable strategy for them. And that's unique in uh, clearance. 
I'm Tom Shearsmith, news editor at TheIndustry.Fashion, and I'm here to remind you that every day we dedicate ourselves to producing daily news, features, and insights to keep our readers up to date and ahead of the curve of events changing the UK fashion market, such as breaking stories, interviews, and analysis. Remember to check in every day to stay up to date. All of our content is free to view, and why not sign up for our free daily update newsletter? And I guess by the very nature of your business, um, it is sustainability is is kind of at, at the heart of it, is it? I think so. I mean, when I talk about sustainability, I have two points with it, really. I think there's a sta- sustainability in the, um, the, the the more traditional, dare I say, sense of word, um, around, around ecological. And I think that, you know, we work with our sellers to be able to discount product earlier in its life cycle if they want to, which basically reduces the impact on waste. There's a big, there's a big win there. Oddly enough, the biggest win is we also, because we're a marketplace, we reduce the stock movements. So actually the carbon footprint of a product's life, because it's not having to be moved out of the brand's shed into a discount retailer's shed, then to the customer, is basically halved. We, remo- we reduce the stock movements by half. And the impact of that across these big brands is huge. So I think, yeah, we are a sustainable solution. But I also think we're sustainable when I could, when, from an economic point of view as well, which, which is probably a, a point of view that is less talked about in that, that in, order for the, in order for basically brands to be able to basically um, to manage their non-full price they, and, and continue to basically make money as a, a, to make margins as companies or decent margin, then it needs to be financially su- sustainable. And I think that, and, and I'm not trying to put a spin on this to, to, to use the word, it's about creating something that creates a value exchange between the brand and the customer, that we just happen to sit in the middle of it. The brand basically makes good money, so basically they, they see non-full price as a profit center. But more importantly, the customer has a route to buy a quality product that they probably, in a lot of cases, couldn't afford to buy if it was at full price. And so that's economically sustainable for the brand and it's economically sustainable for the customer. And the last point on that is, is, is from a customer's perspective, probably the most exciting from a customer's perspective is that they bought something at half the price they would have paid full price. But that item will last years. This isn't an item like a fast fashion item that you wear three or four times and potentially throw away. This is an item that basically you can then take and resell on a pre-loved platform that probably you're going to get half the money back that you paid for. So that financial sustainability isn't just about the money. It's just about the, the you, you tie the two together of ecological and financial. It's sustainably because the brand make money. It saves the customer money. The customer can resell it and buy something else. And actually, it saves waste and basically reduces stock movements. So they sit really nicely together. I mean, it's and it's a seldom thought-out impact of, well, how can fine, it be financially efficient? affect basically the ecological side but it really works together and actually with the pre-love boom that you're seeing at the moment it's actually a better experience for everyone because the customer's buying a quality product rather than one that he's going to go and put in the bin and end up a little bit of being landfill in three months so how does the pre-love side work for you um pre-love for us is more of a luxury end so we do like luxury gucci handbags and vintage um, handbags etc but actually it's something that we're looking to 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 grow to more to the middle to upper end um and actually next year we're looking at um launching 
uh, a sort of buyback service where we can where we can participate with the customers more fully to basically buy back their pre-loved items so that they get credit to be used against new discount items, etc. So again, we're just trying to join the circle. And where do you get the pre-loved items from? Do you deal with vintage dealers or? Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got a number of people that buy on bulk. Um, or go out there and basically source and then aggregate that source. Because, you know, we, we, being a marketplace, we don't buy anything. So the reality of it is we rely on the suppliers. So we go and do deals with the people that are the best people at acquiring pre-loved inventory. And do you want to tell me a little bit about the Secret uh, Rewards Club? What's that about? Yeah. Um, listen, I'm really, really proud of that. The, the marketing team sat down and came up with an idea that, they just wanted to reward our customers um, with extra benefits. And so um, what we did is we, we went and did a deal with uh, Coffee Club and then a deal with Taste Card. Um, coffee Club, obviously, about buying coffee from some of the main coffee retailers at a discount. So you get sort of 20% off. And Taste Card is about offering um, discounts on meals out, events, uh, a variety of other sort of services, et cetera, et cetera, stuff that we use every day um, in, in, in everyday life. So basically saving the money. And what we wanted to do is give everyone who purchased through us um, access to be able to receive a taste card. Taste card on average saves the person, uh, the average person using taste card saves a thousand pounds a year using the taste card eat, for eating out and doing the things that it does. It's just an extra reward to keep money in our customers' pocket. The reality How is, well has it been received? Huge. Um, the, um, the response that we're getting um, is fantastic. It's a long-term exercise for us because ultimately we don't put a condition. We don't say you get a taste card, but you have to buy another item with us. Every order basically over £30, and given our average of order value, that's pretty much 90% of our orders, you get a free taste card for that saving. And they get the full benefits of that They only have to, just from shopping with us once. I think the philosophy that we came up with is that I believe people are, are smart and savvy, and especially at the moment when it comes to money. And, and frankly, we wanted to give them something back that could save them money when they went and net out or did something. Not, not with us. We saved them money anyway. And I think by doing that and looking after our customers with no conditions – I think they will be more loyal to us because we've been loyal to them. And so it's a long-term play for us and that we want to expand that into other areas to continue to help the people that help us. And let's help each other because, frankly, in today's day and age, that's a good thing. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Well, I think we've, uh, we've covered a lot there. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for joining me. No, no problem. Really nice to meet you as well. If this fashion leader's story inspired you, why not head over to our website at theindustry.fashion or find us on your favourite podcast platform where you can hear from many more leading industry figures. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be sure that you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review or rating. If you would like to suggest names that you would like to hear on the podcast, feel free to drop us a line at press at theindustry.fashion and remember to visit www.theindustry.fashion for your daily fashion fix and to sign up for our free daily update newsletter.